Hi, I'm Pete Smith from the Centre for Disability Employment Research and Practice. And in this podcast, I wanted to look at some of the the findings um, from our retreat in 2017. At that retreat, one of the issues that we looked at was the National Disability Insurance Scheme and the amount of employment supports that were going into client or participant plans. We'd had a lot of experience talking to participants who struggle to get any form of employment support in their plan and they would come across a number of people that after they've had a review actually had a significant amount of employment supports removed from their plans. Now I guess we should probably start by looking at the National Disability Insurance Act itself and examine whether employment has a place in it or not. I mean you have to consider that the National Disability Insurance Scheme itself and its success is predicated on the idea of a significant number of people, I believe 20% of participants achieving some level of economic participation. Now, we're obviously talking about economic participation or employment to the level of their capacity or their desire. And that's fine. That would be common for all of us who we have our dreams and our desires about the type of work and the sort of hours we want to do. But let's look at the Act itself. In the Act itself, and particularly Part 2, three Objectives of the Act, it makes the point that the objectives of the Act are to promote the provision of high-quality and innovative supports that enable people with a disability to maximise independent lifestyles and full inclusion in the community, to raise community awareness of the issues that affect the social and economic participation of people with a disability and facilitate greater community inclusion of people with disability. So right there it talks about economic participation. In this section it also talks about providing reasonable necessary supports, about enabling people with a disability to exercise choice and control in the pursuit of their goals and the planning and delivery of their supports. So if you start to think about it in those terms, it's clear that the client or the participant has a significant role, if not the ultimate role, in determining the types of supports that they need to achieve economic and social participation. It would then fall on the planner or the local area coordinator, whoever's looking at the planning these days, to determine what would be reasonable and necessary supports. And you would like to think that between the client and the planner, they would come to some understanding and some agreement about what's appropriate for the client and what's obviously what's within the realms of the capacity of the NDIS to reasonably and necessarily support. If you think about the Act itself, when we start to look at it and go, okay, you know, it talks about reasonable and necessary supports, to support a person to sort of pursue their goals and maximise their independence, to support them to live independently and be included in the community as full participating citizens and to develop and support the capacity of the individual to undertake activities that enable them to participate in the community and in employment. So you can see here that the Act is quite explicit about what it should be doing, that it does have a role in maximising a person's independence and enabling them to participate. It doesn't anywhere in the Act put any precedence over social supports, over economic supports or economic participation. So that brings us to the next bit in our discussion, in our retreat. We started to look at this and we, we looked and we thought, OK, what's going on here? 
you know, we're not seeing employment turning up in client plans. You know, there is a, a bit of an odd chorus you tended to hear from planners, and that was, we don't do employment. The NDIS doesn't do employment, but yet it's quite explicit in the Act. Economic participation, reasonable and necessary supports. And I know when I talk to colleagues that are involved, um, shall we say, further up the flagpole, the Act is written in such a way as to allow it to be interpreted easily so that there's no, shall we say, legal impediments for an individual to be able to pursue economic participation in the sense that that earlier on there's that particular line where it talks about fostering innovative approaches. I'm guessing that's probably the thing that's missing from this exercise is the, the idea that you can prescribe innovation into an act and, and it'll happen. Yet, if that was the case, we'd probably have a planet full of innovative people. But, you know, as most of us know in our day-to-day existence, innovation is actually pretty hard to come by. So, Let's go back to what our discussion at our retreat was. We looked at the participants, we looked at providers, we looked at academics, we looked at at um, a range of people that were involved in the community, in the life of the individual, and and in in society generally that could influence government thinking and policy direction, particularly when it comes to employment and the NDIS. So what have we concluded? Well, we concluded that Parents and participants were the best position to inform the government of their needs and to push the government to change its agenda to meet their needs, in this case, the employment supports. We felt that an educated and informed society was a powerful society, and our best course of action was to support parents and participants to develop self-advocacy skills around employment by educating and supporting them. Um, And in this case, we made a conscious decision at the foundation that we would develop a program that focused on teaching parents and participants about the use of self-guided discovery to facilitate employment outcomes by developing a better understanding of the employment process, in effect taking control of it. Parents and participants are empowered to advocate for the supports they need to pursue employment outcomes. You know, we know that not all employments and participants will want to go down that path alone. So what we did was we've created a community and provider partnership program, in a sense an alliance between the foundation providers and the community that's there to deliver education and support. Uh, As a research and and training consulting uh, foundation, we didn't necessarily deliver individual support. So it's important to have the partnership in the community so that collectively we all support the client to develop those skills. But more importantly, once the education is over, The client knows, the participant knows there's a provider in the community on the same page as them with the skills they need to support them through the discovery process, through the customised employment process, that will walk with them and support them through the planning process as well to ensure that they have a strong voice and can advocate for the supports they need to pursue economic participation. Now, Some people might argue that, well, you know, why do we bother? Well, the reality is, if you look at the last set of reports from the National Disability Insurance Scheme, the level of supports for economic participation is running at around 2.5-3%, maybe 4% if we're lucky if you factor in a few other figures, but vastly short of the idea of 20-odd percent of participants 
um, pursuing economic participation. You know, you'd have to argue that as a scheme, it's not living up to its expectation um, in terms of providing those sort of supports. Now, why would we want to provide those supports? Well, let's be honest. When you meet someone, one of the first things they'll say to you is, hey, what's your name? What do you do for a living? If you're unemployed, you don't have an answer for that. If you have a disability and you're unemployed, you really don't have an answer for that. It almost, it almost highlights a lack of employment as an exclusionary factor. It highlights the absence of the capacity to develop a true self-identity, real self-esteem, and certainly without some level of economic participation, it's questionable in a material society as to whether you can actually really participate and be a part of society. So let's fix that. Let's give everybody the opportunity by working together to educate and support individuals to develop the skills and the capacity to self-advocate to, in a sense, allow them to go into planning meetings and educate the planner and be a strong voice for what they need. And when they get that support, and they should, as providers in the community, let's walk with them. Let's understand the process they're going through and let's ensure that they can achieve their dream, the same dream that all of us have, as easily and as practical as they desire. So let's make it happen. Let's get together as a community, as a society, and start walking along with individuals and letting them achieve their dreams. After all, what would be a society be if we weren't allowed to achieve our dreams? Thanks for listening, and I look forward to the next podcast.